Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When they got inside, they came across two or three people inside the apartment that were engaged in a struggle. And when the officers entered, they weren't able to tell who was a bystander. Who's a victim? Who's a suspect? People are pointing, that's the guy. That's the one who had the gun. This guy was out of his mind. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities, as well as the locations of these crimes, out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have... The usual suspects. The band is all together. We have Detective Dave. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Almost. Swing and a miss. <laughs> it's 11.30. And we have Detective Dan. Happy to be here once again. Happy to have you. And we are so pleased to welcome back one of our favorite, all-time favorite guests, Sergeant George. I'm happy to be here. We are so thrilled to have you. So, George, you always bring us the most interesting cases. Please tell us how this case came to you. This is a tragic case. This is a very different case than one I've ever worked before. Didn't include the typical historical bad guy. This is an incident that happened about uh, 6.30 at night during the winter. I get called at home like usual. It doesn't ever happen when I'm working when it's convenient. It never happens at 2 in the afternoon when you're at your desk. Very rarely you get those calls. So this is uh, early evening. Get a phone call that... There had been a shooting taking place at an apartment complex in town. And the initial call for service was that it was an active shooter. Active shooter's a term that's really thrown around a lot now. It really it's encompasses a lot of different situations. All that means is this isn't a shooting that took place and the suspect left. This is the suspect is still there shooting people. So we 
being our small town, we have uh, you know maybe five people working responding to this apartment complex. We get multiple callers saying, "Yeah, I'm hearing gunshots. People are running around screaming. Something bad happening." So other agencies in our nearby area have on their radios an ability to scan our frequency as well, and. They hear this call for service come in, and other neighboring agencies, the local sheriff's office, the state police. We have a college nearby. The college campus police came running over the nearby city next to us. Everybody came because it's a large apartment complex, and it's really hard to contain a scene like that, not knowing where the shooter is exactly. So initially, two officers and a sergeant respond to the scene. It's a two-story apartment building, multiple buildings in the complex. They are able to pin down where the shots are coming from. They get to the base of the stairs, and I believe at the base of the stairs are initially three people. One person has a gunshot wound to his neck. Another person, I believe, had gunshot wound to his chest and abdominal area. And one person that had a gunshot wound to his arm. Are they dead? None of these people are dead at this time. They're in pain. They're asking for help. One of the victims actually, I believe, used a belt as a tourniquet on one of the other victims to stop the bleeding on the arm. The other person that had the more severe injury to the upper torso area was down and wasn't able to really do much, and officers began to care for him. Medics initially, in a scene like that, they're not going to roll up right away and get in the middle of everything until it's somewhat controlled. They're not armed. They're not wearing any kind of ballistic protection. So until the scene's secure, they're not going to intervene and get hurt themselves. So I believe at least one officer or two stayed downstairs with the victims, until another officer got there, three of them went upstairs to the apartment and announced police and then forced entry into the apartment. When they got inside, they came across two or three people inside the apartment that were engaged in a struggle. And when the officers entered, they weren't able to tell who was a bystander, who was a victim, who's a suspect. So everybody kind of got ordered to the ground and they start handcuffing who they see and trying to evaluate what's going on. And they're asking, where's the shooter? Where's the shooter? Who has the gun? One of the people from downstairs had taken the gun from the shooter when they left the apartment and threw it in the bushes right out in front of the apartment. One of the people who got shot had taken the gun? So our three victims who have been struck with gunfire have made their way out of the apartment down the stairs to safety. There's two others who are present at this gathering who are now actively fighting with the suspect. Trying to contain him. Trying to contain him. So as you can imagine, it's pretty chaotic and confusing initially. I'm not there. But there's other officers that are describing to me in person later, as well as in the reports, how chaotic it is. But the common thought is if a person has one gun, they may have access to another. So they're going into the apartment thinking, this guy may still have another gun. We still need to find who he is. As they're trying to detain people and handcuff people, they end up identifying who the shooter was. The people are pointing, that's the guy, that's the one who had the gun. And in speaking with the officers who initially responded, this guy was out of his mind. He was fighting, yelling, screaming. And one of the officers responded to the scene with his patrol rifle, which is a AR-15 style rifle that all the police cars have. And when police respond to a call like this, one person may have a shotgun, one may have a rifle, and the other officers have their pistols. While it's not necessarily designated who carries what, it's good to have at least one person with a long rifle. Having that rifle can be helpful. You can shoot accurate from a distance. And you distinguish between a shotgun and a rifle. Completely different style. They both have long barrels. That's the only thing they really have in common. They shoot different type of ammunition. Shotguns shoot shotgun shells, which have multiple pellets inside that from a short distance stay contained, but from a further distance spread out more. Where a rifle shoots from a long barrel, a smaller projectile at a higher velocity. It's more controlled, much more accurate. 
And is that more SWAT style, the rifle? Um, I think it used to be SWAT style, but given the current climate we live in, it's typical police carry in every police car now. Really, since the North Hollywood shootout? That's probably exactly when it became a big deal. Police realized we need to be able to shoot back at these people that are heavily armed from further away. And by further away, I mean behind cover and concealment. Shooting a pistol long distance, you're not accurate. The barrel of the pistol is very short. The bullet's different. It travels different. You're not accurate with it. With a rifle, you can maintain cover and concealment, have safety, and also have the penetration to get through a wall, get through an object, a car fender, whatever it is you're shooting at. I see. And when you talk about the North Hollywood shootout, you're talking about that bank robbery, right? Yeah, the two guys with the automatic rifles and body armor. The police in that instance had to actually go to a gun shop and get weapons that could rival what these bank robbers had. They were completely outgunned. So now we put rifles in police cars, so we don't have to do that. I see. Any particular call, at least somebody could have a rifle there. So in this incident, one of the officers that entered the apartment had his rifle with him. And he has a pistol and a taser and all the other gear on his side. Well, as he goes to confront the suspect, the suspect grabs one hand on the taser and one hand on his gun, which are both holstered. Well, this officer's holding a rifle in his hands, so he's having difficulty controlling the suspect. So he's trying to sling his rifle, push back one hand that already has the hood of the taser pulled back, and the other hand's trying to grab the pistol out of the officer's holster. The suspect is trying to grab the pistol off of the police officer? Correct. The holstered pistol because he's holding a rifle in his hands. Right. So the other officers see this, they're able to knock the suspect to the ground and they start figuring out how to contain this guy, how to control this guy. And he's not responding to the typical, the police terminology is focus blows, essentially punches. When you say a focus blow, it's not just a random punch. You're trying to go to areas of the body where you can cause some pain, get some compliance, but not cause a long-term injury. In this case, focus blows weren't working. So one of the officers used what's called a lateral vascular neck restraint. Some people call it a chokehold. Some people call it a carotid restraint. A lot of different terms for it, but he was able to apply that successfully and in which cut off the blood flow circulation, knocked him out. They're able to put him to sleep essentially briefly to handcuff him, get him detained. And then the suspect was able to wake up pretty quickly after that. If you apply that hold effectively and correctly, the person goes out for just a few seconds and then they regain consciousness. But in the meantime, you're able to handcuff them. They're really effective it's kind of a last resort type thing. It's becoming more commonplace to use it now. It used to be right below deadly force, but now it's at the same level as taser and punching somebody in our use of force view when applied correctly. So I respond to the scene. It's controlled by the time I get there. I mean, that's really, I guess, the only advantage of getting called in afterwards is it's not chaotic as much as it was 15 minutes before. Detective Dave, uh, one or two other detectives and our sergeant, we meet up and we, like usual, split up what our roles are. We have two hospitals in town. One detective went to one hospital. I think Dave was first to get to the other hospital. And then me and another guy went to the same one because we had multiple victims. Another detective was in charge of processing the scene, securing the scene, photographing, collecting evidence. So at this point, we can get the names out of the way. Man in custody is... Ruben. Ruben. We've got one victim with a gunshot wound to his chest. And that would be Andre. Okay. And then we've got one with a gunshot wound to the neck or the throat area. That'd be Alex. And then one with a gunshot wound to the arm. That'd be Jeremy. And what do you do with 
Ruben, the suspect, do you take him down to the station and put him in a room to get him to cool off? Patrol did exactly that. There's a couple of different options. Sometimes you could just put him in the back of the car, maybe talk to him briefly, get Miranda out of the way, establish a little bit of a rapport, a little bit of a relationship. He's freaking out so much, they don't even want him in the back of the car. They bring him down to one of our jail holding cells and say, he's there for right now. He's monitored. There's staff able to watch him. There's a camera that can keep an eye on him, make sure he's not going to harm himself. Let him sober up. Yeah, sober up is what it ended up being. Oh, so he was drunk. Drunk and high. Drunk and high. And what was he high on, George? Alcohol, marijuana, and LSD. Oh. And while individually taking any number of those may not have a negative effect, when you combine those three in any quantity, it could have a really negative effect on a person's brain and how their behavior is. And sometimes LSD itself is bad, but you throw marijuana and alcohol on top of it, and it made for literally a lethal cocktail for multiple people. Wow. All three victims of the shooting were transported to the hospital. Dave initially went to contact Andre. Andre got brought into surgery. He died and ended up a couple hours later. Our call for service was at 6.46 p.m., and I wasn't notified of Andre's death till 1.30 in the morning. Oh. And did Andre take the chest wound? He did. Okay. I would have thought the neck wound would also be fatal. He was really lucky. Extremely lucky, yeah. That's Alex. Yes. So I talked to Alex and another detective talked to Jeremy at the other hospital. Okay. Alex described a scene that basically, this is a group of friends hanging out. A group of friends that they know each other for years. They go in the park, do these role play with foam swords and have these pretend battles. Live action role play. That's exactly what's called LARPing. I didn't know this term before this case. I'd never heard that acronym. So they're LARPers. They are. And generally speaking, go out and have fun. Don't cause any harm to anybody. Just a goofy group of friends that just go out and enjoy each other's time and do some different stuff. And I'm assuming the two people that Ruben, the suspect, was fighting with in the apartment as well when police arrived are part of the LARPing group? They are. Okay. And so when I spoke with Alex, he basically said, uh, you know, they'd been LARPing earlier in the day came back and they wanted to have a party that night. So like any other party, everybody was responsible for bringing something. One person brought some LSD, somebody brought some marijuana, somebody brought some alcohol. It's different than chips and dip. It is. Uh, <laughs> I like to bring chips to parties for the record. If anybody invites me, I will bring <laughs> chips. So these guys were just wanting to hang out and party and they're all friends. They're all getting along. They all come from different various backgrounds. So they go to the apartment and they're hanging out and they're drinking and everybody starts smoking some marijuana and it's in and itself not a huge deal. Marijuana and alcohol mix, not the best, mix into depressants, and then they start doing LSD. And that triggered, that triggers different reactions from different people. You never know what you're going to get from LSD. Alex said, at one point, Ruben started getting kind of weird. Ruben started running around the house yelling things like, are you with me or are you against me? And they had Nerf guns in the house and they were shooting Nerf guns at each other, having some fun with that. But Alex said he noticed a change in Ruben's behavior it kind of startled him a little bit, and he didn't know why he was acting the way he was, and he kept on asking everybody to go for a walk with him. Everybody seemed uncomfortable with Reuben at that point, saying, no, no, we don't want to go on a walk. We're cool here, thanks. Reuben disappeared for a minute. He went back towards the bedroom. And does Reuben live in this apartment? He does. He retreated to his room. About a minute or so later, he emerged from the room, and he had a 9mm pistol in his hand. An actual gun? An actual pistol, 9mm handgun. Oh, God. Ruben began pointing that gun at people and challenging people in the room. No longer Nerf gun fighting, no longer 
kidding around. And he started yelling at people and just started shooting. A real gun. A real gun. I found out later he had purchased a gun at a local sporting goods store, and he'd gone out shooting it maybe a couple weeks before. So he had a uh, semi-automatic pistol. That he's now gone into the back bedroom and retrieved, and he comes out and starts shooting in the apartment? Yeah, that's exactly what he did. High on LSD with a pistol in their hand. Oh, no. So I think Jeremy may have been the first person to see Ruben come out of the room with the gun. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Put that away. You don't need that. And Ruben points the gun at Jeremy and shoots him and ends up hitting Jeremy in the arm. Aims for upper torso area, hits his arm. Everybody else starts reacting to this. Alex was there with his girlfriend. I don't recall her name. And he did a pretty noble thing, I think, in my mind. He tried to protect his girlfriend. People are getting shot at. At one point, Ruben shoots Andre in the chest twice. He's not even yelling at this point. After he's yelled something along the lines, are you with me or are you not? And then if people didn't respond, he would start shooting at them. And people were confused by what he's yelling initially. Then it's just gunfire. So Alex runs over to his girlfriend, who's on the other side of one of the couches, and literally blankets her with his body, trying to protect her. Ruben is shooting somewhat blindly, and in the process, Alex gets hit in the neck and has a through-and-through wound on the left side of his neck. Oh, my God. It's unbelievably lucky where he got shot that he wasn't killed. I mean, with all the veins and arteries and blood supply that goes to and from the brain and heart there. Not to mention spinal cord, spinal cord, trachea, any number of things. Extremely lucky. I'm speaking with Alex in a hospital room, and he is breaking down crying, upset. This is his friend, and he articulated as much. This is my friend. I don't know what's going on. I love him. I don't know why this is happening. So I finished my interview with him. We collect our evidence, pictures, and clothing. Another officer was trying to wait at the hospital to see what's going on with Andre. So I go out to the scene, view the scene, try to piece together what's going on with what Alex told me. I wrote a search warrant for the house, and uh, other detectives processed the scene, collecting evidence, taking photographs. We recover the gun from the bushes. I talked to Detective Dave, talked to two other detectives who spoke to the victims, and then we're like, okay, now we have a good picture of what happened. Everybody has the same story. Stories are very similar. There's no inconsistencies here. So after all that's done, I decided to take a shot at interviewing Ruben. So I walk over to the jail cell he's in. He's calmed down at that point. He's still at the station in a holding cell. So I walk him over to an interview room and sit down and talk with him. And he looks confused and bewildered, not knowing what's going on. He really has a look on his face of, I have no idea why I'm here. He wants to ask as many questions as I have of him. I asked a couple times. I don't think I fully know what happened. Okay. Well, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. Tell me why you think you're here. Um, what I... I can remember yeah. in my head. Yeah. I took a bunch of drugs with my friends. Okay. What kind of drugs did you take? I took LSD. Acid. How did you take that? I took them in a gel tab. It was new to me. Okay. Tab form, but I took them to get out of my friends. Okay. And the last thing I can remember is feeling I was about to go on a walk with a bunch of my friends, and then somewhere around there, I don't remember a lot until I was being held down and screaming with somebody. And then put who, who's that somebody, you know? I think it was my buddy. Okay. 
And then I got brought here at some point, but right. I kind of remember. Right. And then Let's go back to earlier the data. Um, before you took the drugs, mm-hmm. where are you hanging out at? Just at my house. Okay, what's your address? I don't want to give him too much information about what I do know, because I need to hear from him those details. I can maybe fill in some blanks with him later. So my interview was a lot of, tell me what you remember. George is being cautious with this because he's got a couple of hurdles that a defense attorney might bring up. Is One is this intoxication, what Ruben's under the influence of. Suspects in an altered state of mind, and later on, a defense attorney could bring that up, that this person, they're not in a capacity mentally to really appreciate the circumstances they're in. Or give you a credible statement. Right. And then the other issue is, and you see it fairly often in highly publicized cases, is some suggestion that the detective is feeding this person info or they're leading the witness or leading the suspect and and providing them with information that they otherwise would have no idea about. So George is trying to corroborate the facts of the night, not introduce or make Ruben feel like hey, I'm giving you this, now give me the rest of the story. We don't want any of that to happen. We want it from him. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. For all the reasons Detective Dave mentioned, and it's the intoxication is the interesting part. It's important that Ruben tells me that he voluntarily smoked marijuana, used LSD, and drank alcohol. Because if he says, hey, I just had some beer, and I don't know what happened. Somebody spiked my drink. Somebody put LSD in my drink. Whatever. That's a lot tougher hurdle to overcome later to show intent. When somebody voluntarily intoxicates and they end up doing something, that's on them. I didn't spike your drink and cause you to go out there and shoot people. I did it on my own. I knew what I was doing. So we talked a lot about drug use, alcohol use, and the dangers of that before we got into the incident that happened. I didn't get into the gun part for quite a while. I think if you use the word murder, kill, shoot, gun, that scares people, especially if he genuinely is having trouble remembering what happened. I throw those words out, they're going to shut him down. So I kind of play soft initially just to get his perspective of what happened. So you remember hanging out, you guys were partying. Um, I had, did you have drinks tonight? Yeah, I had a shot right before my dose of acid. Otherwise, I'd just been smoking. One shot of vodka? Uh, or is that my sliced rum? Okay. That's why I asked. So one shot of spiced rum and then took a gel tab. Of the, of the acid. Is, is it LSD? Do you call it, does it matter what it is or just call it acid? I don't know. Okay. Now, how many times did you take? Like, I said four doses is what they told me anyway. Okay. So, so four doses, is that four tabs? I think so. Okay. You remember taking about four tabs after a shot of spice brown. What do you remember after that? So I, um, the party continued and it was just a slow digest where I, Demanded we put all the Nerf guns away. You guys been playing Nerf guns earlier today? Yeah. Kind of just goofing around? Where do you do that at? Just my house. Okay, so you're playing around with Nerf guns, shooting each other. Is it kind of a hiding and shooting thing, or what's the what's the premise of that game? Uh, this live-action role-play thing. Okay. So you've been playing Nerf guns earlier today. You get some drinks, do some acid, and then, you're, then you say... What about the Nerf guns? Um, well, that's where my night starts getting hazy. I knew I was getting kind of messed up, so I was like, let's put the guns down, I want to relax. And I'm sitting and talking. But I remember getting up thinking I was going to go on a walk and wanted a dab of weed. 
and I went to do those two things, and that's about, I remember taking a dab, and then after that, my memory kind of goes out for a while. You're taking a dab, you're talking about, well, how, how are you taking that? A dab is, um, it's a bit of dab oil for weed. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, describe for me what that is when you're dabbing. Uh, you use a device, like a little needle or something, a nail to pick up on okay. the dab. Mm-hmm. And then you put it into the hot bowl piece. Okay, and you're smoking that? Yeah. Okay. So you smoke the dab? Yeah. And it's like a glass pipe or something? Uh, it's a, just a normal purple plastic piece, Leon. Okay. And what Where was that? Where were you smoking that? Just in my front room. Okay, in the house still. In my house. Okay, did you leave the house at any point you remember? Not that I remember. I don't actually know how I got to here. The police brought you here. Um, at some point they came into the house and got you. Um, I do remember, I think, a piece of that. What do you remember about that? I remember feeling restrained at okay. one point. Yeah. And I wasn't sure what it was. Okay. I remember really trying to fight back out of it, like really hard. How many hours have passed since his initial arrest and now you're questioning him? Like, is he sobered up or is he... He's on his way to sobering up. Yeah, he's not sober. This is probably about three hours into it. Okay. Can I ask one of my questions? Yes, go ahead. Did somebody get hurt? Yeah, some people got hurt tonight. Things got kind of crazy at the party. So... Did people when... get shot? Yeah, some people got shot. I shot people. Mm-hmm. Do you own a gun? I do. Okay, what kind of gun do you own? Nine millimeter. Okay. And you're you're okay to own a gun, right? You're not a, you're not a felon or anything like that. Where did you buy the gun from? Bought it from. Okay. A few years back. Um. If I really hurt somebody. Well, there's some people who got shot tonight, and that's why I want to try to get to what you remember about what happened leading up to it. And I'm hoping you can help you know fill in some blanks for me from your best memory, because mm-hmm. a lot of times you know people get in a situation there, they're drinking, they're using drugs, and Hey, that's life. People do those things. I understand that. I'm not judging on something like that. But it sounds like things got out of control at some point. And, you know, I don't know if you're the type of guy that just wants to go hurt everybody. Or you're just a guy that probably had too much alcohol, too much drugs tonight, and things got, you know, out of control. I'm not sure either. That's why I'm hoping, as we sit here and talk, you're able to kind of go through your mind about what you remember. Sometimes it's just bits and pieces. You may not remember everything fluid, but if we can remember bits and pieces, fill in some blanks. So we talked a lot about drug use, alcohol use, and the dangers of that before we got into the incident that happened. Hey, you know what happens when you drink alcohol? Yeah, what happens? And he tells me, what happens when you do LSD? Well, it's really weird. It's real. I'm out of my mind. Okay, is it a good idea to take all those at one time? Well, no, it's a really bad idea. It's good to lay that foundation to show he knows right from wrong. He knows what happens when he takes these things. And it wasn't just his buddy slipping him something in his drink. And he'd taken LSD before, so he was familiar with that. Yes. This is the first time he'd taken all three at the same time. Oh, bad idea. Really bad. And he said as much. He goes, that's a bad idea. I shouldn't have done that. Before we even talked about the consequences of what happened. So I spent a lot of time establishing that and make sure he understood. We talked about everything from work to TV to movies to show that he's coherent, that he's not just drunk and answering my questions with whatever I want to hear. They do a good job of training us on how to do that and point out the right and wrong ways of interviewing people. I don't want to add memories to his own memory. I want him to just give me what he has himself first. And I think 
Ruben's being very honest with me about everything he doesn't remember because I, I do know what use of those substances will do to your brain. I don't feel that he's being deceitful to me. I don't think he's trying to hide anything from me. He's struggling to remember what happened. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com slash smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small town fam, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off 
all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is SMALLTOWN. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code SMALLTOWN for 15% off your first purchase at LumiDeodorant.com. That's code SMALLTOWN at L-U-M-E Deodorant.com. Do it. Hey, Small Town fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are, what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then, from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. So we finally get an order of events of what happened. And he's pretty exhausted by the end of this conversation. So I said, hey, let's just take a break. You go get some sleep. And we'll talk some more about this later. So we just sent Ruben back to a holding cell to get some sleep. The holding cell is a very hard room. There's a toilet, a bench, and a mirror. And nothing there. A mirror. It's a polished stainless steel mirror. It's not a true mirror. It's just, you can see a reflection, but... You can't break it and use it as a weapon to cut your wrists or anything. Most importantly, yeah. Right. So at this point, Andre isn't dead yet. He's in surgery and they're working on him. He has gunshot wounds to his lungs and his liver. He's not dead. We're investigating the shooting itself, but it's looking bad. We're being told by the doctors it looks bad. So George, the following morning when you re-interview Ruben, now Andre has since died. Yes. So now that Ruben's had some sleep, is his memory better? Yeah. How you feeling physically? Beat up. Beat up? So your throat hurts? How's your face feeling? Okay, your eye hurts? Yeah. Okay. How else are you doing other than that? Uh, Not sure. All right. Um, do you remember some more about what happened last night? Um, I've been trying to think about it a lot. Okay. And I think I've been trying to play back through the, the thing in my head where it's like here. Yeah. And I remember hearing, I think, my buddy screaming in the background. I think I might have shot him. You think you might have shot him? Why do you, why do you think you might have shot him? He was screaming. 
Okay. I remember hearing somebody say, you just shot me. Okay. At one point. Well, we'll go back through, we'll kind of start at the beginning a little bit again. I kind of go back through uh, how things progressed and how things went. I remember you telling me you had something to drink. You remember what you told me you had to drink? Yeah. So the night started, or the day started with normal errands. Just went to go get some food. So at the end, he's able to articulate that he is out of his mind. He's having several recollections of what happened that night. And then uh, the night started to get later. I don't know what time, but I wanted to go on a walk. Someone suggested. I thought it was a good idea. So while we were doing that, I remember getting kind of emotional. Mm-hmm. Talking about like people being the best they can and stuff like that. Okay. And then I took a dab, and then I was supposed to go on a walk. But I blackout out right after taking that extra dab. Okay. When you say blackout, what does that mean to you? I feel my memory kind of go very hazy. Okay. And I kind of just fade into to more like feelings or like moments. Okay. When we got her just a little bit ago, you said you remembered one of those moments. What I remember coming to is I, I kind of remember uh, standing and talking to somebody, but they were like on me. Okay. I remember trying to pull them over me. Okay. I fade in again with about here. And I'm wrapped around him, and I'm, he's talking to me, and he's, I'm screaming, and mm-hmm. I, I think I can hear screaming somewhere. And then later, I felt like I was getting really heavily restrained, or maybe kicked. I felt like I was getting kicked. Okay. And I was on the ground. I remember seeing blood and hearing somebody say, you just shot me, or something like that. And he keeps on referring to the Punisher. I have no idea what the Punisher is. I went through a lot of weird thought between all the stuff that's hazy that I thought okay. like I was I was going to do a job kind of thing. I kept thinking like I was Frank Castle from the Punisher. Okay. I think I remember thinking that they were gonna kill me. I remember saying, you better kill me okay. or let me go or something. You better kill me. Okay. And in my head, I remember thinking that I was supposed to be tough like like Frank Castle. Okay. I don't know why. I felt really threatened. I don't know what that means. So I have to later Google what Frank Castle and the Punisher is. And it's a comic book character. And his nickname's the Punisher. Frank Castle is the character. And he's a Punisher. That's what he goes around doing, killing people. So this is part of the LARPing. I don't know if that was really part of LARPing or that's just something he brought in as he's a comic book reader. He watches this TV show with Frank Castle, the Punisher, and he envisioned himself as, I'm this guy. And he kept on saying that. He goes, I kept on thinking, I'm Frank Castle. I'm the Punisher. I have a job to do. He'd talk about, I remember feeling like I had a gun. I don't remember it, but I remember reaching for my gun. And I remember people yelling, you shot me. And I think it really is scrambled in his brain. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a human lie detector and I can tell you when people are lying and deceitful all the time. But in my mind... I think he was being very honest with me about what he recalled. And you could tell by the way he was presenting it to me. It was really scattered and jumping all over the place. He would have emotional breakdowns when he's trying to recall things. And he would start crying and thinking about, my God, what did I do? Did I hurt somebody? And finally, we got to the point where I told him, yeah, here's what happened. Well, you shot three people last night. I know. Why? What did I do? Do you remember shooting? I don't remember shooting 
nut because you heard him Scream. screaming. So what if I told you you shot you shot you shot uh, they got hit in multiple places uh, on their bodies. When are you gonna die? So right now he's getting treated to the hospital. He's got uh, I think at least one gunshot wound. He's getting treated for. Where did he get shot? Well, he got hit in the upper body. He's getting treated to the hospital. Uh, got shot and he got shot in the throat. And he's getting treated to the hospital right now. So good medical care, trying to get taken care of. By this point, Ruben's family was aware of what was going on. Mom and dad, they're out in the lobby of the police station and wanted to know what's going on. So we made the unconventional decision to allow Ruben to speak to his family. And why is that unconventional? It just typically doesn't happen in that order necessarily. Why would I have somebody at the police station? I felt we got as much of a confession as possible to this case. We weren't going to gain anything more from Ruben. I didn't see a harm in letting his family talk to him. Sometimes there's a harm in introducing a family member, a loved one, that either will give the suspect good advice or bad advice, or there'll be a negative effect of him talking to mom, and you never know what's going to come of that. Is it twofold where a defense attorney could say, that relative influenced my client, and or for your case, that relative could say, you should get a lawyer and clam up? Sure. That's exactly the risk, but I think at the point where we decided to let them speak, I wasn't worried about that risk. I felt we got everything that Ruben genuinely remembered. If they told him to get a lawyer, then so be it. We're done anyway. If they tell him, you better talk more, you know, that may be litigated in court later, but I've had other cases before where we catch the boyfriend and the girlfriend, and after they both get done talking, we let the boyfriend and the girlfriend talk, and then maybe we get more information out of it. We tell everybody up front, hey, by the way, these rooms are being video, audio recorded, so anything you say can be used as evidence later, just so you know. So they're careful enough not to do anything stupid. And it's not a hidden camera in there either. It's pretty prominent. Yeah, so they know what's going on. So we let them speak for probably about a half hour, 35 minutes, and it was really emotional for everybody involved. I'm not trying to exploit the family in this, but they were all very emotional. They broke down crying. They were upset, but they loved their son. They recognized he did something bad, but they were trying to support him as best they could, too. Yes, when we were listening to this recording earlier, it was just terribly, terribly sad. And at this point, we should tell our listeners that Reuben is pretty hoarse and whispery, so we'll paraphrase. So how are you? Ruben says to his dad that he's done acid a couple of times before, but not regularly. 
And at the end of the day, he just wanted to hang out with his friends. Have you ever set you off? I don't feel angry towards anybody like that. I've never wanted to hurt somebody like that. But they say I just showed, walked out of my room and just started shooting people. Ruben's dad asks him what set him off on the night of the shooting, and Ruben says he doesn't know, that he never wanted to hurt anybody. And the dad says, I still love you. It was one of the few cases I've had where it seems like it's not a random act of violence. I think it's a tragedy, is the best way to put it. These are people that made some bad decisions and knew what they were doing to a certain point. And maybe by the grace of God, not all of them got shot or somebody else didn't do something stupid. Only one of them did. Sober, non-hallucinating Reuben is not the type of uh, young man who would have grabbed a gun and started shooting his best friends. According to everyone, he was not a threat to anybody. And I, I truly believe that. Some people have that in them. You could tell that they're a jerk anyway. They're violent anyway. You give them a beer and they just turn into more of a jerk. This wasn't the case with Reuben. This just brought out something else in him. And that's the dangers of mixing different types of drugs and alcohol. This affected the family's lives a lot. We did the typical reach out, ask the public, anybody know anything, anybody have anything to offer? And they learned, that, you know, there's a community of people who are just friends. They meet in the park, they play, and they have a good time. And this affected a lot of people because a lot of people knew Ruben or they knew Andre, they knew Jeremy. You know, I'm not, this isn't a PSA for dare or anything like that. I'm just, you know, if you're going to do something, be cognizant of what the effects could be. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. I remember watching when, uh, when the father was talking to Reuben. The father is basically telling the son, you're going to be accountable for this and you're going to be a man about it. You're just going to have to 
accept the consequences. So, you know, it just depends on how they try you, whether it's murder or manslaughter or me when the dad says it'll be years before we can hang out and do stuff together and then Ruben just loses it yeah that was pretty emotional for me to watch that because this father knows exactly what he's saying to his son and what that means for their family but it was the right thing to do I think a lot of parents fathers would tell them we're gonna fight this we're gonna argue this you don't need to go to jail this father was the exception he said there needs to be accountability Ruben said that earlier to me before the father, too. I need to be held accountable. I should be arrested for murder. And he was raised that way. DA called and said he's going to plead. So we went to court a couple days later, maybe even the next week, because there's formalities and paperwork and stuff that has to get done. And uh, Ruben came in and pled straight up to murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which is the standard in, in our state. Was that emotional for him? It was. It was emotional for everybody in the courtroom. Some of his friends were there that day. Some of the victims were there. They were upset, but they also shared how much they cared for him and forgave him. They didn't see Ruben as some horrible person that was just trying to victimize people. They, they saw it for what it was. But that being said, it's still a murder. Right. It's still an intentional act to a certain point when he made the choices he made to get to that point of intoxication and having the gun. George, I know that you have two kids. I had a conversation with my kids the next day. I don't. Give them specific details, names, locations, nothing. But the world we live in now, it's on the news that night. It's on social media. It's on their Twitter accounts. They have an idea what's going on. They heard some stuff about what's happening. And I flat out told them, I don't expect you guys to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes in life. You may smoke marijuana. You may drink alcohol. I don't know. I'm going to raise you the best way I can to not make bad decisions. But sometimes people do. But learn from this. Learn from somebody else's mistakes or tragedies. These were good kids. I told my kid, hey, you guys are good kids. All it takes is one bad mistake to get into it. This is why over the years I say, hey, don't do this or don't do that. Don't smoke marijuana. Don't drink alcohol. Your body doesn't know what to do with it, especially at a young age with one of those substances. But if you start mixing three at a developing age, you're really asking your brain to take on too much. And they understood and they're receptive to it. I'm probably more strict with my kids than some of my friends who aren't in my line of work. But I try not to be too overreaching with it. I try to give them the trust and tell them, hey, here's what I expect of you. And there's a consequence if they mess up, but I try to give them some leeway and some freedoms to make bad decisions. And they do. My kids aren't perfect. They've made bad decisions. Nothing tragic. They've always learned from their bad decisions. It's too late for Reuben to learn from his bad decision. 
And it's too late for Andre. It's too late for Andre. At least Jeremy and Alex can move on. I hope my kids would never get in that situation where that type of tragic level of bad decision-making happens. Right. It scares you as a parent. It's tough. I bet. (laughs) Especially, you say you're stricter than maybe a lot of the other dads that you know, but you also see a lot more than the other dads. That's my excuse for being strict, and and, (laughs) and they know it. I think it's fair. Are you strict, though, or do you just... There's an expectation of behavior and the knowledge that there are consequences if you don't meet those expectations. Yeah, I think it's it's more of that. Because it's not like you rule with an iron fist. It's accountability. It's about respect. I will respect your decisions to do these things as long as you respect my decisions. If I say this, understand it's for a reason. It's not me trying to be the biggest jerk in the world. But when you see these things over the years, you try to steer your kids in a direction to at least try to avoid some of these things from happening. They're in college now. I'm not naive enough to think that they're not going to have a drink of beer sometime under the age of 21. I just hope that it doesn't get to a point where they mix other things with it or they have too much alcohol or do something else that gets them in trouble. I I know people make mistakes and make bad decisions, but I see it as a respect thing. I want them to respect my decision and understand I'd be disappointed if they did something that I didn't want them to do. Right. So that's what you learn from cases like this is – Normal, nice people sometimes make one tragic decision that leads to a tragedy for a lot of people, how it affects a lot of people and their families. Are you still in touch with Ruben's parents? Do they ever get in touch with you? I haven't spoken with them since the day uh, he pled guilty. Met them in court that day. Just a really brief, cordial interaction with them. And then we went our separate ways. And I haven't seen anybody since this, anybody in this case. It's weird. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. This is one of those where I don't think they want that reminder a whole lot. They don't want to see me, whether it's a thank you or a just run into them in the grocery store type thing. Right. Which is the risk of living in a small community. You do that sometimes. They stand behind you in line at Starbucks. You never know who you're standing next to. I think Dan and Dave both agree, but you could be waiting in line at the grocery store and somebody will walk up, hey, you remember me? And your first thing you think of, okay, where do you know me from? Is it good or bad? Is it good or bad? Did I arrest you? Were you a victim? Or are you just somebody I dated 20 years ago? You know? <laughs> Wow, George, you're right. That's not your typical murder investigation. Thank you so much. We always love having you. Really appreciate it, George. Thank you for having me. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. And join the Small Town Fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.